Okay, so you we know that you and I have a lot in common, right? Yeah. We're both Harry Potter nerds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed. No, me neither. <laughs> I'm proud. We both love Steven Universe. Hell yeah. Also proud of that. Mm-hmm. We both love baking stuff. Uh, British Bake Show for life. Okay. Yes. And we're both hosts of the same podcast. Yes, but there is a key difference between us, actually, as hosts. Mm. So you're full-time at KUW, and I'm a freelancer. I actually live in L.A. these days. And there are so many things I love about being a freelancer. Like, one, I get to choose to spend time on things that I believe in, like fighting sexism with (laughs) BTSW. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite, for real. And frankly, full-time jobs just still don't have enough vacation time. Like, we gotta work on that, America. It's it's absolutely wild to me that we only get two weeks to work on ourselves a year. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. That's fair. Another, like, sparkly perk of freelancing <laughs> is that I don't have to go to all those meetings that you have to go to, Jeannie. Oh, you yeah. Know? I do mm-hmm. go to a lot of meetings, don't I? For real. For real, you do. <laughs> I feel like whenever we're, we're, we're connecting, it's like, I'll be there in the three minutes between the meetings that uh, I live in. Um, <laughs> and let's be right, real. Like, right now, I need that flexibility because I'm raising my son. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you can tell that I I agree with you. And t- if I'm com- being completely honest, there are times when, you know, you say, like, I can't make that phone call. I can't do that thing because I'm at the pool with my son, mm-hmm. you know, and I think like, dang, it's 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. I would love to be at the pool with my kid right now For instead real. of in this conference room, you know. And also, mm-hmm. I have to say something. I know you think you're bad at keeping track of everything. but Terrible. Terrible. I I don't agree with you. I feel like you do it all really well. Like, that's how I'm perceiving it. I don't oh, even... Thank you. <laughs> honest to God, because I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could keep track of everything as well as it seems like you do. I very, very, very much need structure and predictability. And overall, there are not a ton of variables in my everyday life. I know where I'm supposed to go every day. I know how long my commute usually is. And generally speaking... I know how many meetings I'm going to be in each day, generally speaking. Yeah, and that's the thing, though. So having to be the boss of your whole life is really, really hard. I'm the manager and the whole staff. (laughs) Nothing can fall through the cracks without the fingers pointing right back at me. Also, I'm <laughs> insurance would be really nice. It would be really nice mm. to have some insurance. <laughs> oh, oh, and if this makes you feel any better, when I do have meetings, no one is usually paying me. Oh, that is a totally valid, valid point. So how do you prepare to work for yourself, to be the manager and the whole staff at the same time? You're still talking to me. Okay, if if we're talking about me, this is so embarrassing. (laughs) I didn't do anything to prepare. Like, sometimes I still wonder if I'm still prepared. What am I doing? (laughs) Well, let's talk to somebody who has some answers, huh? Oh, when you talk like that, I can't say no. Ah! (laughs) This is BTSW. Battle tactics for your sexist workplace. I'm Eula Scott Bynum. And I'm Jeannie Yandel. Eula, do you know the name Celeste Headley? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where do you know her from? For me, it's from the amazing podcast Seen on Radio, which I usually spell out for all my friends. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it's, <laughs> they, have a, they have a series called Men. About masculinity, and oh my gosh, it just was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. What about you? I feel like I have known the name Celeste Headley for a really long time. She's kind of a legend in public radio. She has hosted and reported all over, 
And she did this great TED Talk about having better conversations. Which will save this planet. Oh, yes. And then kind of the big thing that I knew her for is she was, for a while, the co-host of this national show called The Takeaway. Um, But Mm -hmm. it was not a great situation for her. Celeste says that her then co-host, John Hockenberry, was abusive. Right. And she wasn't the only person that said that. I mean, that guy doesn't host the show anymore because a bunch of women said similar things about him. That is true. Yeah. And Celeste says that experience on The Takeaway was part of why she decided to become a freelancer. She doesn't call it freelancing, though. I often say I am my own boss now. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is how yeah. I see freelancing. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people come to freelancing for a different reason. But the end result always is, is that you're finally in charge of yourself for good or ill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So freelancing hasn't been the bulk of your career. You used to have a job co-hosting the show Takeaway, the Takeaway, excuse me, a national public radio show. And what were you dealing with there? Oh, so, um, I mean, I guess I might as well talk about it since it's headline news. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that was a three years of my life that was, you know, it was pure hell. Um, I was co-hosting with John Hockenberry. He's a veteran in the business. He's someone that I had respected and looked up to until I worked with him. And he's just abusive. I, d- I was unaware of the sexual harassment and sexual assault. I didn't know that was going on. It was happening to people who were lower in rank. Um, that doesn't excuse it. I'm just saying I didn't know it was going on. But I did know that I was bullied and harassed on a daily basis and ended up losing my job to John. Um, and that both of my friends and um, very esteemed colleagues, Farai Chidea and Adora Yudoji, had experienced the same thing. So um, after I left the takeaway... I basically became a freelancer. And, you know, in fact, my whole career when I was at NPR, they never once put me on salary. Mm. Oh, wow. They, I was a contractor always. And, and when I say on salary, you're on salary, you know, because you have a contract. But I mean, you're a contract employee. Um, right. So that whole time, years and years and years and years, I, I had to always make sure they had re-upped my contract so I didn't lose my health benefits every time. Oh. So, you know, it's kind of like, what do you mean by freelancer, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. right. So why exactly would you say you decided to work for yourself? You know, there's a a number of reasons. Um, Because it's a really tough choice, right? I had fantastic Mm -hmm. benefits at Georgia Public Broadcasting. Same at NPR. Um, Really Mm -hmm. good retirement. Very strong health benefits. All that stuff. You're leaving security. So it is a tough decision. But... You know, in 2012, when I left The Takeaway and went to NPR as as a basically full-time guest host, that was the first time in my 20-year career that I made, was making the same as the men in my same job description. Mm. That was the first time. And then I got to Georgia Public Broadcasting, and I went right back. I, w- I suddenly found myself making 20000 mm. less than the man Damn. in a similar position. Um, and that 
there's there's all kinds of people will management will always explain all kinds of different reasons for that and that's not why necessarily why i left gpb but i wanted to have control over my own schedule i wanted to be able to say when i was tired and needed to break i wanted to have control over my own salary and i wanted my investment in my own brand to reap benefits for me Mm -hmm. um instead of for a network i mean just I'm a great boss for myself. Yeah. 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 I'm the best boss I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love I that. Hear that. <laughs> Was sexism a part of why you decided to freelance? Oh, of course. I, I mean, it's exhausting, isn't it? I mean, I don't, yeah. uh, a lot of people don't recognize, I'm too light skinned for people to r- realize I'm a person of color. And when they do, they think I'm Dominican. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just being a woman, but being a woman of color, it's just freaking exhausting. Yeah. It just feels like you're battling over everything. And yeah. um and it it's not even it goes beyond you need to pick your battles. No, everything feels like a battle. And after yeah. 20 years of that, I was like I'm, you know, I I need a break. Yeah. Oh, I can hear that. You know, I was telling these guys earlier that I saw that you and my mom had the same birthday and my mom is like a serious workaholic. <laughs> and so I can only imagine the like the amount of stress and like hardship that would have to like come on her plate and like you know tired for her to like really step down from something first so are you a believer in astrology oh i'm a huge believer and i mean as like you guys as capricorns it's like i understand (laughs) why i spend most of my life under her desk um versus like you know anywhere else with her if i'm gonna find her she's at work that's why i tell people if you're looking for her you know she's at work um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm, I'm afraid my son would probably say the same thing. He says I have yeah. trouble knowing how to relax, which is cu- basically what my second book that comes out next year is about, my struggle mm-hmm. to figure out how to relax. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll pass it on to my mom. She's retired and working like full time right now. She just retired last year. Yeah. And, um, so, but yeah, you can appreciate how many hours I must have been working. <laughs> Seriously. Yes. So, so now you're working for yourself. So that means you're not dealing with sexism or racism anymore, though, right? <laughs> yeah no no (laughs) are you this hard on yourself like is your new is your new boss mad mad bias i would have to be independently wealthy for that to Mm. be true right i still have to work with clients i still have to work with corporations you know i'm i still have to engage on social media i mean what is more sexist and racist than that um so you know i still deal with it all the time but it but the difference is is that those people they're they're the peanut gallery right they don't have control over my income or my schedule yeah 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 it's so true so were you surprised that you still have to deal with sexism even though you're working for yourself i don't think i was surprised i mean we we swim in sexist waters we swim in racist waters we we live in a racist and sexist society which means even if i'm retired i'm gonna have to deal with racism and sexism at the grocery store and filing my taxes etc 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 um exciting so no i wasn't surprised at all but again the all they can do is fling words on me words at me you know if i'm dealing with a client who is sexist which has not happened yet as somebody who's like virulently or 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 um sexist or racist to a degree that impacts my my state of mind if i were Mm -hmm. dealing with that i don't have to work with them yeah yeah that's the beauty (laughs) 
That's Seriously. a good point. I mean, how? so where does that show up for you? Where does sexism and racism show up for you now that you're working for yourself? Aside from the fact that we're sort of, you know, it is impossible to get away from that. Yeah, I mean, you, you mean in my work life, not in my everyday life. Yeah, it comes exactly. up all the time in which um, it, it, people will already tend to try to want to pay uh, male speakers, for example, who are on my same level more than they pay me. Um, or they'll say, oh, she asks for too much money when I'm not I'm asking for the same <laughs> that my male colleagues right. are asking for. Um, they People will uh, ask me to talk about things that you know they'll want to talk have me talk about lifestyle things and then they'll bring Mm. in men to talk about the nuts and bolts of the way corporations work and the way the workplace would work again i'm i'm generalizing this is not every client at all yeah it's just it it comes up um you know i i am quite involved with the ted organization and um there are bullies everywhere and some of the people who attend ted are sexist or racist enough to make assumptions about you or be more likely to listen to provocative statements from a male than they are from a woman. Um, They'll Mm -hmm. ask you for your bona fides and not the guy. So, you know, it comes up all the time. You talked a lot about some of the good things that came with having a, you know, a steady gig with NPR or Georgia Public Broadcasting, right? Benefits, retirement plan, all that stuff. Beyond all of that, is there anything that you miss about having that kind of um, that kind of full time work? If I weren't in a job where I interacted regularly with lots and lots of people, I would probably miss that. I, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. because I do work in a job where I'm constantly with people. But that would if that weren't the case, I would that would really be something that would stop me in my tracks. Um, I I mean I miss um, I guess I miss problem solving with other you know sitting down for those news meetings and hearing people's great ideas and um and i'm not sure how much of that is working for the broader organization of how much of that is just working on a radio show which i've done for 20 years so i kind of miss it a little bit um i miss uh i miss being part of something broader than myself i miss being able to see what the other departments are doing you know um because they were all do- always doing really creative stuff, the education department, all those other things. I miss having creative people when you need something w- for your show and you go down to the, the PR and marketing department and they were so creative, enthusiastic, and passionate. Um, so I guess w- what I really miss is the, the, the huge talent pool. So now onto like the bad, I know. But so for me, I was going to say, the, <laughs> for me, one of the worst parts of freelancing is the uncertainty of it, like literally like yeah. not knowing if I'm going to have a job. And, you know, and I, I'm a really good salesperson, but I am not good at selling myself because I'm super astrology, too. And as a Scorpio, there's, <laughs> there's no part of me that I want to share. Um, <laughs> so so for you, like, what's the worst part about freelancing? So, you know, I'm I'm in my four, I'm 49, so I'm nearly 50 now. So one of the things I have learned is to be honest with yourself about what you're good about good at and not good at and then find the people who are good at that pay them well and let them do their jobs um Mm -hmm. so i am terrible at selling myself i am not good at schmoozing at all um and so i have this fantastic brilliant manager and she does that for me and she's incredible at it i'm not good at making a a, an adult budget (laughs) right same (laughs) so i found an accounting firm that i could afford uh, that that does that for me. So um, 
it kind of, for me, it takes away that worry that I'm going to screw something up. Um, and, and again, I wasn't able to hire many of these people until I was three or four years in and I had built up a, a cushion of, of finances, yeah. you know? Um, cause at the beginning I was just doing it all myself. Um, yeah. but in terms of the uncertainty that can be, uh, scary, really scary. Cause you're living mm -hmm. on the margins, right? Um, right. And so it, it's tough when you're trying to make a budget. And I mean, I got to say that creating a realistic budget, being real about what it's going to cost you to run your business and how much you need to pay yourself. And that's how you sort of have to think about it. You have to think about it as though you're running a corporation and that corporation is giving you a salary. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And you have to figure out how much can they afford to pay you? How much do you need? Yeah. Um, and so I, I did that very, very early on. And part of that, as I, as I mentioned, just comes from my age, my advanced age and my maturity, <laughs> um, <laughs> that removes a little bit of that uncertainty. And I just ended up, I would do lots of other things. I mean, freelancers, you end up wearing a ton of hats. You take on a ton of jobs. Yeah. And absolutely. part of that is to make sure you're making that magic number, the amount you need to make in order to keep going. Right. Yeah. And so what's the best part of freelancing? Is it setting your own salary? Or Ooh. having the best boss ever? Right. Well, I do have the best boss ever. And if she's <laughs> listening, I just want her to know I appreciate her. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's a few things that I really love about freelancing. I mean, number one, yes, I have control of my own schedule, which means that um, if I need a couple weeks off, I take them. Um, if I am exhausted, I take the time off and I, I tell my employees because that's what they are is my employees I'm not going to be answering the phone or email for three days mm. so unless it's urgent if it's urgent call me otherwise see ya um, that's fantastic it, in terms of self care and remaining healthy it's great and much needed when you're undergoing all the stresses associated with freelancing um, it's also great that I get to keep the profits of my work and choose how to invest them Mm. Um, I get to make those decisions. And another thing I might say is that I now get to employ, not, I mean, I'm not a major employer, but I have a manager, I have an executive assistant, and I, I hire a, a PR firm and a book agent as well. And so I get to actually bring in income that pays other people. And they're all brilliant and talented mm. and fantastic women. And I get to be sort of part of that engine. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. So would you say that you know that freelancing is working with for you? Or like, how do you know if freelancing is working for you? Um, freelancing is definitely, is definitely working for me. And mm -hmm. I, I, I think you're right to ask, how do you measure that? Because there has to be some kind of ROI, a, a return on investment, right? So yeah. um, for me, it's a question I, I, I went through and, and did just the basic straightforward thing of what's the minimum I need to make in order to keep paying the, uh, my employees and have enough to be comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. I found that number. And if I'm making that number, then financially... Uh, freelancing is working for me the other thing was am I healthy yes and um up until this year the answer was no mm. um I was having to work so much I flew 90,000 air miles last year oh my mm. gosh um and I was what? not healthy 
<laughs> no. So no. all that recycled air, you couldn't have been. Oh Oof. God, it's horrible. Oh. Um, so, you know, it has taken me some years, obviously, to figure out where that balance is and to become successful enough where I can now say I'm only going to fly twice a month, which I feel is still <laughs> a lot. Yes. <laughs> but if you saw my schedule from before, you would faint. Um, right. But I can put those limits on it now. And mm-hmm. um, that I wouldn't be able to do if yeah. I were not the master of my own destiny, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate that idea of thinking about measurable goals, like how healthy am I, as a goal that you achieve over time rather than a goal you sort of immediately meet, right? As soon as you sort of decide that you want to work for yourself. And I bring that up as, you know, somebody... My partner is a freelancer and we've had lots of conversation about like, what does health look like? How do we know this is sustainable? All of that stuff. And it didn't occur to me for a long time that like, this is something you get after a while. You don't like immediately find it. Mm. No. And you don't even know what those limits are yet. It takes a little while to know, you know, like I, I literally had to figure out how much sleep do I actually need, you know, when you're, you're working Mm. for someone else, you spend so many years getting up at a certain time because that's when you need to get to work. Right. But when you're making your own schedule, it it takes a little while to sort of figure out, okay, well, if those limits are off, then what is the ideal sleep schedule for me? Yes. A nap at two. Yeah. I mean, it (laughs) maybe if that's, if that's what your schedule is. And also I had to sit down and figure out, and you know, it's, it's funny. This is almost exactly what this, this next book is about that I finished writing. It it was about figuring out how many hours can I actually focus every day? (gasps) If not, that is so important. Yeah. If I'm not required to sit at a desk or in a radio station for eight hours a day, then how many hours can my brain focus? Yeah. When does this, the work start deteriorating and I need to get up and step away? Right. And mm-hmm. that, it just takes time. Oof. Yeah. So speaking of books, so you've written a book about how to have better conversations too. Yeah. And a key piece of, of that is that being like a better listener, actually like paying attention to what the person across from you is saying or wherever their voice is coming from. But did you have to listen to yourself when you came to making a decision about being a freelancer? Yeah, you know, that's it's interesting. I'm a Buddhist, a practicing Buddhist. And I, I my practice is based on compassion. And, and in that training, the, one of the first things they tell you is you cannot have compassion for others until you learn to be compassionate to yourself. Mm. And it's the same thing with listening because mm. you cannot truly listen to others until you have learned to listen to yourself. And one of the things that blocks us from listening is that um, we're not a, truly aware in the moment and know what's going on. So we sometimes get distracted by our own thoughts. Um, and that pulls us away from listening to where if we are really paying attention even to what we say, which we don't, right? I mean, yeah. oftentimes <laughs> you'll walk away from a conversation and say, well, what did we talk about? Um, yeah. Yeah. We don't even pay I, attention to, to what we're saying, let alone what the other person's saying. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm laughing because I did that at least twice today so far. <laughs> yes, we, uh, my family, we ha- we run an Airbnb out of our home, and right now we have a family friend friend who's staying with us. And the other day, he and I were talking about the internship he has here, working for T-Mobile and 
the stadium, the baseball stadium. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was saying that his boss is a really distracted person that uh, he was told even before his interview, it's a, w- a little weird to work for this white man because he's not very focused and he almost doesn't pay attention to you when he's speaking to you. <laughs> and he said during the interview, he had that actual interaction where the dude didn't really speak to him. And he said, now though that I'm on the job, I recognize that he just has a lot on his plate. Um, and I said, do you think he need- they need to hire him an assistant? And he said, well, I don't think he needs an assistant. We did just hire a girl. And I was like, wait, I was like, oh, I'm, and I busted up laughing. And he was like, what? And I was like, you, you know, you say he doesn't need an assistance, but they, you just hired a girl. You're almost putting the same into the same box. And he was like, I didn't know what I said. I didn't. He said, when you say it yeah. back to me, when you say it back to me, I hear it and I see, I hear how that sounds. But wow. I didn't think of it at all that way. And I was like, <laughs> if her job title is an assistant, bro, she's not supposed to do any of his work at all. Exactly. <laughs> girl. And the women in your office aren't supposed to be the one that plan birthday parties and bring in the cupcakes. Just no, FYI. but also you have to, and you have to listen to what you're saying. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're going to be living that light, you know, young millennial progressive, you actually have to listen to what comes out of your mouth, bro. <laughs> yeah. And not just millennials. It, it It's every generation doesn't listen to what's coming out that of would their be mouth. Nice. In fact, research shows that the smarter you are, the worse you are in conversation and part of it is because you think you know what they're going to say oh that's fascinating yeah so your listening skills go down and frankly just one more thing and in in defense of millennials not that you were attacking them no 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 um, millennials are actually better listeners than baby boomers Mm, we're all cheering (laughs) so yeah we're excited no millennial hate please no 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 (laughs) i'm not a millennial but i'm thrilled to know that i am a millennial so i'm amped (laughs) oh my gosh well okay so i mean as we're talking about talking and not listening to yourself and having to listen to other people um you told us before that one of the ways sexism can show up for you as a freelancer is you get lots of unwanted advice from men. So (laughs) I don't know why I can't say that without laughing, but I mean, how do you approach those conversations? I mean, I usually just don't engage. Um, Fair. It's just not worth my time. Um, Every once in a while I'll get really shirty with them and, and say, you know, I, I, I've actually read that study. In fact, if you've read this, 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 and this, you know, these are the kind of things I came across when I wrote the book. You know, it's interesting. I actually had once where I posted an article that I'd written. And mm. a, a guy on Twitter responds and says, did you even read that article? He said <laughs> this. God damn. And I was like, he didn't say anything. I wrote that article. Brad. <laughs> so, yeah, I've read it. Um, yeah, and, wow. And yeah. what did he say? Nothing. He did not answer yeah. back. <laughs> well, and the other thing is that when you, when you, you know, when you actually study the brain, there's no good way to give unsolicited advice. Mm. Unsolicited advice is pretty much, well, almost always interpreted by the brain as an attack. We don't enjoy it. So yeah. it's best to to not mm-hmm. that yeah. is i think that probably really resonates with both of us yeah oh, that totally. makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. it certainly feels that way oh yeah personally. i feel attacked all the time so <laughs> totally <laughs> Ugh. i mean one of the things that we've heard from other guests on other episodes is that they think about what it looks like to sort of stay on the job and try and change things from the inside do you ever feel like you've maybe stepped out of that fight because you work for yourself now Oh, yeah. And and yeah. I am totally open to my employees changing things. In fact, I hope they do. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hell yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. It. I just, you know, I hate to go back to the battle metaphor, but it just felt like I was constantly battling. Not just battling, but having to justify myself and yeah. argue for myself and be my own advocate. And I kept wishing... When am I going to get a manager that is that advocates for me? Yeah. That doesn't come back to me and say, what is going on with this? But instead says, you know what? So let's know what she's talking about. This may seem a little, you know, unexpected, but let's let her try it out. Let's give it a go. Um, I would have loved management that trusted me like that. And I, mm. and I felt I'd earned it. So yeah, it's it's much better because again, my boss trusts me implicitly. Yeah. <laughs> now <laughs> and lets me fail over and over without giving me a bad performance review. Um mm-hmm. and allowing you to fail is is kind of what empowers you. I need to know I can try stuff out. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know, what Edison is supposedly said, I didn't, you know, invent the uh, a light bulb or whatever. I found ten thousand ways that didn't work, mm. um, and that's you know as much as Edison was kind of a crappy person. That's a great way of looking at it. That you fail ten thousand times, but they're all productive because they lead you to the right one. And that's the kind of support I don't feel I really ever had. Well, I don't want to say really ever had because one of my managers is probably going to complain and say, "Hey," and right. it's <laughs> more my lack of memory than anything else, but. <laughs> Um, it was a battle all the time, all the time for resources, for for uh, uh, changes to format, anything like that. It was always a battle. You also think, though, um, it's probably not good for society overall if everybody who feels like they're constantly fighting to be taken seriously just decides to work for themselves. Like if everybody just sort of opts out and decides to work for themselves, you don't think that that's, that's a, you don't think that's good for all of us. If a bunch of us decide to do that, why not? Well, I mean, look at it this way, you know, let me go back to my decision-making in order to, to come forward about John Hockenberry at WNYC. I was well out of that situation. I was already preparing to work for myself when I made that decision, meaning that it it, it didn't benefit me (laughs) to do that. But my thought process was, I wish someone had done this for me. I'm going to do for another generation what I, I needed from someone then. And if we opt out there is nobody doing that. There's nobody protecting the next generation. There's nobody making those workplaces a better place and forcing them to change because they won't change on their own. Um, There has to be somebody advocating and fighting and battling and it, or we will see no change, not just in our corporations, but in our Congress, in our representatives, uh, everywhere you look, there has to be someone who is upsetting the apple cart because there were some rotten apples at the bottom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, are you hiring? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. We know that there's a good employer out there somewhere. I am I am sure we're going to find some more things I'm terrible at and we'll have to find someone else to do. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I mean, I put in my 20 years. So at this point, I feel like, okay, let me pass on this baton. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that doesn't mean I, you know, freelancing in the end, it may be... I, I may run the clock out on it. I have no idea whether it'll continue to be a viable option for me. Yeah. Um, and so I'll have to make that decision again at yeah. some point, possibly. Do you think that working for yourself is something that potentially anybody can do? No, um, not at all. I mean, I'm I'm lucky because, again, I'm working in a business where I'm constantly having social interaction. One of the things I hear from a ton of freelancers, and frankly, this was true when I was a correspondent for NPR and I was had I worked for my home in Detroit and anybody I interacted with was over the phone. Right. It was lonely. Yeah. And even that's with like grabbing your kit and constantly going out to interview people. So you have to find ways to have social interactions. Freelancing most likely will not work for you if you don't schedule in social interaction. (laughs) The other thing is that I am um, very Mm self-motivated. So I don't need, I don't need somebody imposing deadlines on me. I impose my own deadlines. Um, And that's not true of everybody. And freelancing will not work for you if you don't know how to structure yourself or motivate yourself or make deadline make arbitrary deadlines for yourself Mm, no i can i mean thinking of my mom and you having the same birthday i think about how my mom was like student body president and like class president and like that's all because you actually know when you have to turn in the paperwork for that and um i i every year was like i'm gonna try out for cheerleading and then every year would be like was that today was that <laughs> and, and 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 now somehow I freelance for myself, which you know, obviously I barely meet any di- deadline in the world. Um, and so one thing, so those are all things I'm terrible at. But you were saying that you're bad at like social media and logistics and scheduling in some ways. And um, the list goes so, on, <laughs> right, right. So how did you know that that was like your deal? Like, did you make a list of also that you were good at? You know, what did you tell me? Yeah, this I out? basically what I basically did is one night I sat down and I listed every single skill that I needed to make my my business viable. Oh my gosh, every single one. Yeah. And I did that by writing down what are the tasks that have to be accomplished in an, in an average week. Mm. Like, what are all the things that need to be done? Um, and then I transferred that over into the skills. And, you know, we all know if we're being honest with ourselves and there's nobody else in the room we're trying to impress, you know if you're good with money or not. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I appreciate you, that. You suck it up and you find someone who's good at it. And you find somebody who's good at it at your price point because you can. You know, I mean, yeah. even if you end up hiring a, a graduate student who just needs a little bit of extra money, you can find the right person to do your social media. I'm I'm fine at social media if it's like me um, commenting on an article or something. What I'm not good at is actually letting people know that I'm doing stuff or that I wrote an article. I'm not good at promoting. Yeah. I think it's mm-hmm. maybe the same skill as doing the schmoozing that I'm so terrible at. Yeah. It's just not my thing. Yeah. So what tactics do you have for someone considering moving into freelancing? Like how should they think through this before setting them, you know? I mean, again, 
am I assuming that they already know what it is they want to do as a freelancer? Well, that's an excellent question. Yeah, yeah. They probably know. I mean, the average person, when they're talking about it, they're going like, I've looked at every other option, and it looks like I'm going to be um, making these backpacks on Etsy. Um, yeah, and what I would say is don't quit your day job yet. Okay. D- start on the side, because your business will start small. Mm-hmm. So keep that job with its security and with its retirement and its benefits until you have had enough months of continuous income that you know you can make it work. And so I don't mean just mean like two months or three months. I mean, you've got like six, between six and 12 months, if not more, to show, okay, my income is not cyclical and it's not, uh, meaning, okay, you can't base it off the holiday season, right? right? If you're making backpacks, because maybe you brought in, Forty thousand dollars over the holidays, and then the mm-hmm. next three months you brought in zero. Well, is that right. actually even going to sustain you and pay your rent for the year? No, it will right. not. So you need enough of a track record to really understand how much money you can bring in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So make a business plan. I mean, I know it's awful, and we all avoided statistics in all those <laughs> classes in college. I get it, but make a business plan. Know what your budget is. Know what those tasks are that have to be completed on a regular basis. Know how quickly they have to be completed. And then quit your job when you have reached that minimum. I am not a freelancer. I have worked in public media now for like 15 years. But I've heard from lots of folks who do, including my partner, that it can be really emotionally draining, particularly the uncertainty, like Eula talked about before. So what what do you suggest for dealing with that piece of it? I mean, you have to practice some kind of self-care. So, you know, for me, I schedule my time for meditation. Um, Mm. I I encourage people to schedule social time. I don't mean social time on your tablet or Mm. your your phone. I mean, actual human interaction, because that heals yeah. You know, loneliness degrades your internal organs. Oh, it my God. It shortens your life. It makes you more likely to get heart disease and diabetes and all kinds of awful things. So, you know, what? some. Yeah, sorry. What, to, are we, what are we headed for? What are you saying? You're saying it, that all of these kids are not communicating. I'm sorry. I'm a dual and childbirth educator. So all I ever go to nowadays is like these babies not getting talked to. What are you saying? What? Yeah, the text communication, a text exchange does not fulfill any of the the needs of a human being for social interaction. God damn. Zero. You have to hear a voice or have face-to-face interaction. So part of the emotional draining part of freelancing, I'm convinced, is because of the isolation. Mm. Um, So you have to schedule that time in. The other thing is, is that you cannot work for hours at a time. Your brain cannot do it. Right. So you have to, this is true, even whether you're freelancing or you're in a full-time job, you have to um, take a break, work for 45 or 50 minutes, and then get up and walk around for 10 minutes. Don't get up and go look at Facebook because that's not actually resting your brain or your body. Mm. That's actually stressful. So take a break. So could you ever see yourself returning to to a traditional workspace? And what would that workspace have to look like if you did? 
Um, yeah, I, absolutely. You know, most of my life I have been in a traditional workspace. It's not like I've forgotten how to do it. Um, but I don't think I would go back disempowered. Um, yeah. I would make sure that uh, I report who I, I would be very careful about where I was in the organizational chart and who I was reporting to and um, what my measurable measurables was. And I'll tell you right now, I am not taking a salary that's less than men in my field ever again for the rest of my life. So if you're out there listening and you're about to offer me something, don't even think about it. Yes. <laughs> not We're happening. plotting over here. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, we've so enjoyed this. Oh, my so gosh. Much. Okay. Uh, Celeste Headley, journalist, co-host of Seen on Radio's Third Season Men, also host of the upcoming PBS show Retro Report. Thank you so much for talking with us. We have learned so much. Mm-hmm. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for all the good questions. Ooh. Thanks so much, Celeste. Have a good one. You too. Oh. oh, wow. That was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And did you hear what she said about loneliness? Yeah. Girl, it degrades your internal organs. I know. I'm talking about, can we put that on a bumper sticker? Can we tattoo it on my forehead? Maybe not mine, <laughs> but like someone who's available. <laughs> Listen, I have been casually telling every single person that I run into that fact. Oh. And let me tell you, I'm scaring children. I am shaming strangers. <laughs> it is, uh, you know, it's happening. I, that's so funny. I'm doing the same thing. Like, I'm saying this and then I'm really reveling in the expressions on people's faces when they're looking back at me. It's like, oh, you're wise. And also I'm a little afraid of you. It's kind of great. <laughs> For real. Well, aside from that, what else stood out to you? Okay. So, you know, I'm not a freelancer, but I'm still thinking about what Celeste said about unsolicited advice, that it is interpreted by your brain as an attack. That was so validating. And I'm thinking about my partner who's a freelancer and the amount of unsolicited advice they get about how to build their business. It's just kind of, oh God, it's exhausting just thinking about it. And then also what Celeste said about how many hours of work anybody can actually do in a day, that honestly felt sort of revolutionary. Like, Really be honest with yourself about how many hours of work you can actually do versus when the work starts deteriorating. I never think about my day like that. Right. How can you apply that to like you having a real job, though, like a nine to five? It's a re- Honestly, that is the thing I have been thinking about since we talked to Celeste. Like, OK, how do I apply this in my everyday life? How do I apply this at my job? Because I feel like it's really important yeah. yeah. What about you? What stuck with you? What I mean, you know what stuck with me with this one, the downside of freelancing and how if with all of these women leaving the workforce, it doesn't leave a lot behind to create change for the next generation. Hmm. And, you know, one of my biggest goals in life is to make this place better for all of us, find some peace in some spots. And I do feel a little less empowered where I contract because... I am just a contract, right? Yeah. And I'm going to feel some sexism, but I do, I'm really grateful for how I get to kind of filter it and, you know, have choice over the contracts I take. You, on the other hand, I mean, you get to fight sexism regularly if you want to. I mean, I think KUW is a really fantastic workplace, but nowhere is perfect. I mean, that's, you know, that is a really interesting tension that Celeste pointed out is that, like, on the individual level, freelancing can be a really good tactic, right, Mm -hmm. to sort of deal with a sexist workplace. Um, 
But when it comes to what the overall effect of that is, that's something I hadn't thought about before. What does that mean for like a traditional workforce when so many people get pushed out that there's not a lot of people agitating for change left over? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, to do on that. Yeah. It kind of makes this next question feel really, really pertinent. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. So in this long uphill battle of fighting sexism at work, either as a permanent staff member or as a contract (laughs) employee. (laughs) For real. If I pull my load, will you pull yours? Hell yeah. Awesome. I'm signing that contract. BTSW is a production of KUOW in Seattle. Our senior producer is Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. Brendan Sweeney is the director of new content and innovation. Special thanks to Michaela Kiner and Ruchika Tulsian, who have been advising us this season. This podcast was inspired by the book Feminist Fight Club, written by Jessica Bennett. Our theme music was composed by Kessia Gordon. Our graphics designer is Tio Popescu. I'm Jeannie Yandel. I'm Eula Scott Bynum. Keep up the good fight. See you soon. 